Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, The Danimal. How's it going, Matty? Fresh off the first live wrestling show we've seen in, what, three years now, Danimal. What were your thoughts? We checked out the Machos Tequila and Nachos event at Snoqualmie Casino. Am I correct? Did I butcher that title, or is that... The name of the production i close enough it was their their first most importantly their first annual which uh leads me to believe that i will be able to go again and bring some other people that may be more enthused than our wives but uh yeah it was it was the first uh show that's been in the areas in a little while i mean i'm sure there have been some indies but first time that we've gotten to see anything and i gotta say it was it was a lot of fun on a lot of levels um watching the wrestling was fun the crowd was not a typical indie wrestling crowd, which I think made it even more fun to see the varying levels of people that were just eye rolling and like, how soon can I get back out to my slot machine versus some people that were really getting into it. So I, I, I really enjoyed kind of the mixed crowd to some degree. And uh, the layout was great too. I, I give a big shout out to the casino for that. Cause the last indie show we went to was the classic, you know, dive bar shoulder to shoulder you can kind of see what's going on in the ring whereas this was laid out in a manner that you know if you weren't interested in the wrestling you could still get a good seat sit in a comfy chair and you know drink your tequila and eat your tacos so i was gonna say yeah i kind of cheaped out went with general admission over getting a whole table and i actually preferred the general admission seating uh with the way they had it arranged uh, you're absolutely right. Typically, when I think general admission to a wrestling show, particularly not a large scale one, I imagine that I'm going to be swaddled up next to some sweaty guy in sweatpants who's going to be taking it, treating it as if it's real, you know, the oh, whole yeah. time. And um, no, instead, it was nice and spacious, they had comfy chairs. And actually, yeah, you could tables for eating and drinking or whatever you wanted to do. So that was actually pretty sweet. Um, the action, what did you think of the matches themselves? Uh, again, you know, indie wrestling is, I think we've been spoiled because you get a bit of that flair with watching AEW all the time, but um, actually seeing a real true indie production, what were your thoughts? I mean, first and foremost, you can tell them the way they formatted the card that they kind of went with the, the lower skill level and work their way up, which I mean, is obviously smart. You know, you don't want to, it's not an AEW crowd where you can put a banger on first because everyone's already going to be there, which, you know, was kind of the case because the, the first match we like barely caught the end of. And uh, so I got to say, first and foremost, I think it reminds you how difficult professional wrestling really is. That was kind of my big takeaway where it, you just watch some of these guys and women who are so not just talented, but so dedicated, you know, they are such athletes that they take these things and they make them look so smooth and so easy. And the other person appears so light. And then, you know, just seeing some of the arm drags and they're like running the ropes and trying to get the timing down. It's just like, Oh yeah, this shit is super fucking hard. So that was, that was something that I really noticed. You know, I think one of the second or third match, I mean, I think with the exception of one drop kick, it was kind of like arm drag, arm drag, waist lock, waist lock reversal. And I'm just like, big chop so you know uh i guess I'll, I'll comment on the later matches a little bit but i mean what, what were your thoughts just kind of on the overall i think you raise an excellent point because that's the first thought i had as well it's granted you know with these indie shows you know there's a very distinct chance that these folks who are in the ring maybe met 20 minutes before they had to go out there so a lot of it is being choreographed on the fly so it may not be as smooth for that reason but Beyond that, it really is a matter of realizing that everything is on stage and scrutinized to the nth degree. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the troll channels on YouTube or where that will, you know, put together all the clips of the various botches you see in, the, you know, the mainstream wrestling productions like WWE and AEW. But when you're thinking about how they compensate for so much of that on the fly, and keep it moving and for a lot of the fans they won't even notice versus maybe the super fans and the wrestling nerds such as you know myself you know will pinpoint it but yeah it, it was wild and then it's also funny too because some of the condition you get like there were moments where you'd see the chops and like you know you're expecting kind of the like 
whole crowd to do the oh you know in unison but instead it was just a guy getting chopped in the middle of a casino ballroom and it's loud as hell but everyone's just kind of staring at it or even the moments where you see somebody patrolling on the outside of the ring and i've just immediately like tope suicida tope suicida and instead the guy you know they would just kind of mill around until the guy rolled back into the ring it's like Oh yeah, not everyone is willing to put their career on the line every second of every moment, particularly if you're probably a career, you know, insurance salesman, not professional wrestler. So yeah, that stuff's always a trip too, to like realize it's like, oh yeah, that what we're getting on the mainstream productions is like the best of the best for sure. Yeah, I think that leads great into the last two matches of the night, um, which were a couple tag team matches. And I thought that they, they were a very interesting pair because it was kind of like the performers were going to try to accomplish the same things, but like the manner in which they approached doing them was very different because we did see some of the, the high-flying action. Uh, we did see the Tope Suicida and some leaps off the top rope, but in that, that penultimate match, Every time those guys were getting up there, it was just like it had like the Randy the Ram vibe. Like, is this just the last <laughs> moment of this guy's life? It was pretty fit fascinating how like the main event actually was a very solid match. I'll give them a lot of credit. Yeah, they they put on a, a solid show, and it was a great way to end the night. The match prior to that, where none of the it. It's rare that I can go to a wrestling show and feel like I'm in better shape than the folks who are in the ring. And legitimately, it was a tag team match. There are four men in the ring. And in each case, I was kind of like, that guy could could probably, you know, switch, add some more veggies to his diet or something because it's not a great look at the leotard and whatnot. And it showed in the ring in ring action. Like it was very slow. It was very awkward. It was, uh, it brought to mind that, you know, meme where it's like, you know, Hey, I want this. I want this. And the mom says, no, we have that at home. And then it shows what (laughs) what you're actually getting at home. And it's the broke ass equivalent. And that was kind of these two matches. It was like the main event were legit, like, you know, amateur luchadors. And then, the one prior to that really looked like your dad and uncle putting on a show with masks on to like keep you amused for your third birthday party. That's so spot on. And the thing about it was it, I think both matches made me think of this, but like you said, just kind of the dichotomy of like the, the second match had some really impressive spots and they were athletic and they were kind of fluid. And, you know, something tells me those guys have been in the ring, you know, with some frequency together. But the other one was very much just like, it made me think of kind of the knock on like AEW and that it's like, you're just waiting for the next big spot. You know, you're going to have seven guys below in the cage all fighting and they're going to turn at the same time and catch the guy. And that was kind of how I felt. There was like a big outside of the ring spot. And it was just that like three of the guys had managed to work their way out there. And then, yeah, you just get this big dude that just comes flying at him. And I think... Oh God! Oh, I, we got to talk about the finish to that match. Yeah, that that's what really put it over too was the fact that it just unceremoniously ended. Like it, it was the classic like TV timeout, except for it's a live show, so it's that much worse. Like it's one thing if you get the quick, you know, the small package finish to like make sure that you keep it moving and you have the fifteen minutes allowed for the main event. But this was literally that spot you just described, which was an overweight guy leaping off the top rope, not really leaping, more of just falling off of the top rope into a sea of other overweight men. And then it just kind of like unceremoniously just ended with no, like the referee made it no indication. There was no music. There was nothing. It just was like, you're done. Well, and uh, to anyone as, you know, we've watched plenty of wrestling it was like a double submission finisher and usually you think like you know a uh, Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey with the double ankle locks or something like this where in this case it was just two of the guys each had an ankle of the other guy and they were both just pulling like simultaneously ripping these guys groins apart 
which given the nature of the competitors and the fact that you have no idea how hard the guy across from you is pulling, I wouldn't be shocked if those guys had been injured. But it was just like the strangest like nut buster submission dual maneuver that, yeah, it was like, I, I think something else that's worth commenting on was that, as we said, anyone that wasn't i think the referee or a, a wrestler was definitely casino staff that had like signed up on the shift board <laughs> yeah that was for certain because yeah there was like the photo gal out front who was very clearly just like one of the cocktail staff and there's like wear some blue leggings and like be ready to have your hair down and she was just like really trying and then yeah the announcers uh i i once again though it makes you realize the importance of things we take for granted because i felt like the announcer really wasn't sure how to like call a match no you were absolutely correct in fact it actually took away a bit um and maybe that's the purest to me but like the natural default for anything like that it, i feel like is they you just make fun of it just because, you know, why not? Like, let's keep it loose, keep it fun. But there is something to be said for, you know, we were raised off the JR, my God, my God. And like, you know, you have to have that little air of believability to it to really put it over. And when you don't have that, when you just have some guy who's obviously the MC from whatever, you know, production they have at the casino that weekend, who's literally just sitting behind his desk talking shit the whole time. It doesn't, it makes it hard to buy in. And, and, you know, quite frankly, it was, it took away something, at least in my opinion. I, what would you think on it, Dan? Well, I, I completely agree, which is also partially why I may legitimately see if I can get us the shot to call it next year, because the biggest thing for me was that you had a crowd that wasn't entirely sure. And having an announcer over the PA like that, is really going to help people understand what's going on and build some of the stakes. Because naturally, as a wrestling fan, when we're watching a match, you know, we know who the good guy is and the, and the bad guy. We know the bad guy's probably going to be winning, and then we're going to see a babyface comeback. And all of that is something that we're kind of looking for and getting excited about. You know, we see the guy firing up, and all of a sudden, he's on his feet. But if the crowd doesn't know that, you know, if you don't know the arc of the movie, it's like, you know, you could have stuck any of those people in a Marvel movie and asked them, you know, like, hey, uh, Thor just got beat up. What do you think happens next? It's like, oh, he's going to have some kind of moment where he learns about something that matters and he trains and he has an epiphany. And it's like, then he's going to go back and fight against like, yeah, same shit with wrestling. You just don't know it. So I think that's where the crowd really, if, if the announcer had kind of been doing a better job of, you know, not necessarily like I joked about like, oh, you know, calling an arm drag here and there, but, you know, just kind of once or twice, he kind of was like, oh, and this dastardly guy just keeps beating on him. It's getting out of hand. And it's like, yeah, but you, you got to let the audience know that they need, you know, to fire up. And never once did you hear the like, you know, sometimes the guys were even trying, but, you know, if you just see a guy throwing his hands up in the air, you don't know to cheer. But if it's, you do the, you know, the cheesy, like, all right, guys. <laughs> you know we gotta fire up we gotta let them know what's going on then i think you could have you had something so that was probably i think in a lot of ways that was probably my biggest knock on it was that just because so many people didn't know how to react i think if you had done that early on and kind of taught them the cadence of the first two or three matches by the time you got to those last fourth and fifth ones you could have really had the crowd kind of eat that in your hand so that's something that I think uh, I'd love to see, uh, you know, next year. Since if you go to a traditional indie show, you're going to have the crowd kind of knowing that if someone, you know, uh, as we so famously saw at the indie sh show with, you know, Damon rocks into Dame sucks Cox, it's like wrestling fans are going to come up with ways to chant and cheer and boo, but it's the casuals you got to coach. So. Yeah, no, it, all excellent points. And I think too, actually, um, what was fascinating was about this particular production is I didn't see like any true designation of who was affiliated with it. Like it, obviously like it wasn't like a, a full on production company that provide the wrestling talent. And it almost felt like it was split. Like the shows in the early going felt like they were locals. And then you had folks from all over for kind of the main event. Cause it was in particular, it was all luchadors for the final, uh, two maybe three matches actually 
uh, two and a half. One of one of them seemed like a local talent. One of them was a luchador, I believe, for the middle one. But oh um, yeah, the the wild looking guy. Yeah, there you go. And so with that, um, I feel like in particular with the earlier matches with the more local talent who probably have been in some capacity affiliated with the casino staff, um, they were. I think that set the stage for the more of the shit talk because definitely by the end, when you got more of the luchadors who could go in, you know, at least half of them um, at that point, it had already been established. Like I'm the funny guy announcer. So it's, I can't really make a sell now that this whole time I've been talking shit. So <clears throat> there was a fascinating aspect too. And I don't know how to classify this type of wrestler. So I, I need your help on this animal, but the best example I can think of it currently is Matt Menard from 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever the hell they're calling themselves part of the Jericho Appreciation Society. But there's a particular type of wrestler who's typically a mid-talent that is just loud as all hell anytime they're vocal in the ring. Like the kind of guy that never needs a microphone, but like every time they take a knife edge chop, it's like they bellow so loud the whole arena hears it. Or like they'll just anytime they're like screaming, like waiting for a tag, you can actually clearly hear what they're saying. And there was one particular wrestler in this production that had some of that. And I really appreciated his gimmick because he was supposed to be a bloated out of shape or out of work actor that had to wrestle for a living. Or at least this was the storyline that the announcer was pitching. But it was great because this whole time this guy's talking shit this other guy would respond to him and he was so loud. You could actually clearly make out what you're saying. And I thought it was hilarious. Again, it went out completely over the crowd's hands, but what do you think of that type of wrestler and that particular wrestler in general, Danimal? You know, I, I think on the level of this show, I, I think it was great because I think that's a case of like the idea of like the in-ring charisma and everything. I think when you watch, pro wrestling and you see you know the guys that are if the what chance going on you know they'll throw something at the crowd you know or you know if they see a reaction or hear something they deviate it's that you know getting away from the scripted promo and i i think that you know that guy probably wasn't entirely aware that you know that was the direction this guy was going to go he probably was just like hey you know just so you know my shtick is that i'm a wannabe action star and then it's like oh well the announcer's going to come at me you know, fuck it. I'm gonna go right back at him. Um, and I think for the guys that do that in in the ring, I feel like they're kind of the uh, trying to think of the right word for this because, like, it's not necessarily that they're compensating. I think they're just like adjusting. I think it's kind of that, like, sometimes, especially as guys are coming up through the ranks, you, you can see, you know, you're gonna wrestle, and all of a sudden, you know, you got a Dante Martin that you're watching off, you know, in the ring, and it's like well, shit, I'm never going to be able to do that. And then, like, you know, you, you go to, like, the next match, and it's, like, CM Punk or MJF on the mic, and it's, like, well, shit, I can't do that either. But it's, like, you know, if I do a couple good things, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a really animated in-the-ring guy. Like, it was actually really interesting. Uh, they recently, this last week or so, uh, WWE did a whole bunch of Randy Orton tribute stuff. Because I think he hit like his 25 year mark, which is yeah, insane. Yeah, I, I saw some of that. That was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, which was like, I mean, I, I'm a huge Orton guy. So I, I really appreciate it. It's still shocking how good he still is and everything. And that his his goal is basically he stated to be like the next Undertaker. Just the guy that like never leaves, never goes the Hollywood route, just like puts over talent and puts on bangers. So a lot of respect for that. But there was something that I saw a compilation on, I think it was Twitter. And it was Randy's reactions when he wasn't the focal point of the segment. And it was just phenomenal because you see him reacting to the promo that like Triple H is given in the evolution days. And just like, and it, it kind of makes me think of that, just that idea of that, you know, maybe when you're in the ring, you are just really going to sell the shit out of the chops, you know, not, not HBK and Hulk Hogan, you know, oversell, but just the like, you know, I don't know how well I can, you know, sell like, or, you know, like Dolph Ziggler is probably a great example of like someone who could sell physically like no one's business, but, you know, maybe you don't have that. So I, I think that's kind of it is you're, you're someone that's realizing that you got to do a little extra and that's, that's what you go with. But, uh, 
no, I, I, I agree that I thought he was someone that really kind of, I think the crowd was kind of invested a bit more because it's like, it was just instant character work. You know, you didn't have to have followed the guy for a while. It's that he's, you know, talking shit to the crowd and he's talking shit to the announcer. So, you know, he's a bad guy. And, you know, that's something that I felt like it missed. So, no, that was a, a standout performance. I would agree. Well, I think too, it was refreshing to see like a legit classic heel. And maybe I'm a bit, you know, biased because we've been watching so much AEW as of late where, you know, everyone kind of straddles this fine line of basically being kind of chaotic neutral rather than, you know, a true baby face or a true heel. Um, but I feel like a smaller show like this, this is where you want to do the thing where you go out and you tear up the sign or you start a fight with, you know, the one guy who's booing you vocally or, you know, I don't know. I'm always a huge fan of these kind of loud mouth wrestlers. Um, I appreciate, you know, now that we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs, even though his team was eliminated, but I don't know if you've ever seen a compilations of a Jose Alvarado um, who was like an undrafted player and now he's a backup point guard I forget even who with but was he the Pelicans guy yeah he's the Pelicans guy but he's kind of like the NBA equivalent of this like there's been some great audio of him like just in the middle of like bringing the ball up just talking shit like the whole time and it's awesome and it's actually made him a bit of a fan favorite in this era of you know hyper connectivity and Twitter and whatnot so um but yeah, I guess I think you're on to something. It makes me first wrestler actually I thought of when you were describing that is even um, even though she's not vocal at all is a uh, rebel or Reba or wherever the hell she goes. Oh, by. yes. The yeah, the the third side of the Britt Baker triangle. No, that's that's a great one because I, I completely get what you're saying that it's like for so long it's been just Britt talking. And she's just right kind of next to her and she just reacts like crazy. And yeah, that's, a, that's a really great, uh, really great person to bring up. Yeah. I, I mean, I really think that she's low key been super instrumental in Brit gang over so well, just cause she, she does it so well without being a distraction. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it helps that she knows she's a former Cowboys cheerleader, I believe. So she's well versed in knowing how to kind of keep people engaged and, even in lulls, but, uh, but yeah, having somebody with a vocal talent, like, you know, Britt Baker, who can go and go and go on the mic, you know, having somebody who can kind of pantomime behind that to just emphasize points is huge. And uh, yeah, but uh, you mentioned too, our, that live show we had saw pre-pandemic in Seattle. That's still one of my favorite ones. And the claim to fame for both of us was that's where we saw a young Darby Allen in the ring with having no idea who Darby the hell Darby Allen was. All I can think of was, I remember we were standing cause this was classic general admission show. So we were standing, at least in my purview was a pillar. I remember thinking like this damn pillar is going to ruin the night for me. And so of course, Darby Allen being involved, first thing he does is get slammed sideways into this pillar. And it was kind of simultaneously one of the most terrifying and coolest things I saw the whole night. Any other memories of that between the chant and the Darby Allen spot? Well, I got to say the Darby Allen spot, it makes so much more sense now. Because I remember when it happened and you and I were looking at each other like, was that just a horrible botch? Like how, you know, how does anyone just get thrown into fucking concrete that hard? And now having seen Darby wrestle, it's like, oh, no, that was part of his, you know, that's always been part of his shtick. Is like, you know, he's tell I'm sure he tells the guy, like, hey, when you throw me, I'm gonna kind of arch my back like this and try to just make sure that I hit with like my ass and then you know my head will be protected or something. But still, you just had some big dude, you know, from Seattle throwing you into concrete. Um, but going back to it, and because I, I do always love bringing up the chant for multiple reasons, but uh to, to bring everyone into it, it was a a character named Damon who was a heel. And he was great because he kind of looked like Albert um, of WWE fame uh, and then I mean, without the horrible tattoos. They did start it, a Homer Simpson chant for this guy yeah. because he had the circle goatee and the bald head. Yeah, he was, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so he, he decides he's going to start a Day Men Rocks in the tune of New Day Rocks, which, you know, has been a huge thing for a long time. So... He decides to start doing this, and then the crowd, and who knows, maybe he's got a buddy there that does this every time, 
But, you know, instead they, instead of Damon rocks, it's Dame sucks Cox. But the thing that made it so great was he immediately kind of went into, like, the Kurt Angle. Like, I think my all-time favorite Kurt Angle promo is, you know, you're a boy and I'm a man. And, and you know, I'm a man who loves to play with boys. And then he kind of, like, panics. He's like, no, 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 I didn't mean that. And that was his reaction where he's like, no, 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 I don't. Stop, stop. Like, he was really getting agitated. So, and I think that was a great example of like, you know, I couldn't tell you a damn thing about the match, but I can definitely remember this guy's like panic and, you know, concern over this chance. So I think it speaks to like the quick, quick character work can make all the difference in an indie show. So yeah, that was, uh, those were definitely the two moments that stood out to me, but yeah, it, it made me excited to, uh, to see some wrestling again. And, you know, at some point, I think we know that AEW is going to make the swing up here. Because, you know, it's a huge market, especially, I think, for the size of the shows they're doing. You know, Seattle area has got a lot of a lot of potential venues for them. I believe they're in California in June. So I know they go back to the East Coast immediately afterward. But the fact that they're venturing west uh, bodes well for us. Funny fact about that wrestling show, the way I actually found out about that, of all people, was a bar regular at the place I worked who was one of the like quietest low-key guys ever and he played in a band that was a wrestling theme band he had nothing to do with that part of it like he was literally just a bass player that met some kid who was his whole thing was he wanted to be a wrestling themed band so uh this guy would tell me all these stories about like how like this kid would drag him in and do all these like twitch you know streams and all these sorts of like shit talking on twitter to like promote their work and they ended up being the house band that performed there so he was the one who came and told me about this random show and so of course we had to go but um yeah it was it's funny when i look back on hindsight because you and i one of our last recordings we did we were talking about kind of the social media influences in in professional wrestling now and, and that was kind of the earlier stages of that of just kind of like even on the indie level it's like you can still connect you can still promote yourself and everybody's kind of trying to to one up by kind of working together so uh it's funny to think that it's like of all things just this random guy who would just come in all the time it's like oh yeah by the way if you're into wrestling of all things check it out I guess that speaks to it that the other reason we went to the show at the casino was because I go to bet on random sporting events there and as I'm riding in the elevator it's like a Mexican wrestling event at the casino I love wrestling in casinos <laughs> and I love anything that starts off with saying first annual like just already declaring like this is going to be a new tradition moving forward we have no hey. idea how well it's going to go over but yeah, I guess to their to their credit, I think they uh, I think they sold it out. So I I think they'll probably end up rolling it back again. So something something to look forward to. Yeah, well, I'll definitely check it out again if they do a number two. So and I know uh, okay. if I'm going, you'll be there too. So uh, with that all being said, why don't we roll into what are your thoughts on the current state of wrestling at the moment? I know that you brought up the Randy Orton tribute. That's a great jump off point where. That was really cool to me. The fact that you know, like they could really pay tribute to him while keeping some of the storylines going. I haven't watched a terrible amount of WWE, but I'm right there with you. Like Randy Orton, I'm so impressed with how consistent he has been. I always marvel when I think about Triple H for that very reason. And Randy Orton's in that same cloth where it's like, in particular, when they were showing those clip shows. And it's like, you've always brought up, it's like, this guy hasn't had to wrestle in a t-shirt yet. And he's in his 40s now, and he's still going strong and honestly looks more cut than he did in some of the earlier shots they had of him. So that's damn impressive. And, you know, he still puts on a damn good show. So uh, not as big of a fan of the RK Bro thing for my own reasons. But yeah, I mean, I'd still love him in pretty much any match you put him in. Yeah, I, I've really been enjoying it. I think uh, our RK Bro, it didn't do much for me initially, but I've, I've kind of become a fan simply because I think it's another case of like Randy's the ultimate guy that they just love to hit the refresh button with and we just pretend things haven't happened. Like for a long time, his like, one of the big things he would just do is kick people in the head and like write them off of storylines for months at a time. <laughs> so it was like, 
He punted Vince. He punted Shane. He once almost punted Stephanie. And who knows? Maybe he has. He's RKO'd, like, every woman on the roster. Like, he got Beth Phoenix for trying to defend her husband. Like, he's just been – I mean, he set Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, on fire and just <laughs> burned him alive. And, yeah, now it's just like, yeah, he hangs out with this dude that loves to smoke weed. And he smiles now, and he did this little, like, goatee and a mustache. So – I think it just speaks to him as a character and that it's like he really, you know, works for what he's doing. And yeah, I just I, I really appreciate it. I think he's I think he's having fun right now. I kind of feel like there's been kind of this late resurgence where I think he I think it was kind of the legacy concept that you see with like athletes later in their career. And obviously, you know, pro wrestling is a little different because you don't have to worry about, you know, when your skills decline and all of a sudden you just get blown out. It's like, oh, we can tweak the match to hide you well it isn't hiding randy but i think he kind of had that moment where and you know this is not a field that lacks on people who understand history and everything but i can't help but wonder if you know you had a a triple h or you know maybe it was more of an old timer you know who knows you know it could have been like a dusty before he passed but someone was just like you know you got you know 20 years under your belt and the tank's still going. Like, do you really want to mail it in and be the guy that kind of just becomes like a mid-carter that vanishes? Or do you want to go? And it's like all of a sudden his promos were crisp. So no, I've I've loved it. Yeah, he's he's been a guy that I've I've really enjoyed for a long time. And seeing him kind of get his flowers now. And yeah, it's been it's been a fun tribute. And I think uh, I mean, yeah, they had him, uh, Drew McIntyre, uh, riddle against Roman and the Usos in the main event of Backlash, and it was like that's pretty damn impressive when you can still be main event paper this long. So yeah, big, big shout out to Randy. Yeah, no, I, and to be fair, like the only real knock I have on RK bro is that I've never been a fan of the mixed tag teams. I've, I've always preferred the true teams. Um, again, personal preference and probably just from growing up with, you know, Bushwhacker action, action figures and versus Legion of doom. But um at the same time, like he, you know, in some of those promos, they did have clips of him basically saying he's having more fun than he's had in years being paired up with Riddle. I actually believe that both from out of the ring and in ring, because it is kind of neat, like Riddle, they're at, you perfectly described it. Like he's at this precipice of his career where his athletic ability is starting to decline. And he's paired up with one of the best freak athletes on the roster currently. So, you know, there's definitely some stuff that Riddle can do that, even prime Randy couldn't. And I'm sure he has a lot of appreciation for that when he's seeing it firsthand right there in the ring. Um, And then two, I think you're absolutely right. This is a fantastic way to keep him super relevant in main event types of matches, but he doesn't need to carry it and he doesn't need to keep coming out and putting on a persona because at this point, you're right. His backstory is so damn jumbled. I mean, like pretty much they pulled the classic Vince McMahon, like we'll never discuss this again with his, you know, quote unquote mental health conditions, despite his theme song basically saying like, oh, it's voices in his head that compel him to attack all these women and, and punt people in the head. But, you know, aside from that, it, it's, it's nice because you're getting this kind of refreshing middle ground where it's straddling that line of like who he is in real life versus also maintaining this kind of dark character that he's embodied for so many years so but yeah i was really impressed that they gave him a little nod like that because the guy's hall of fame through and through yeah okay so to put a bow on randy uh completely didn't prepare you for this but what's your favorite rko of all time oh shit (laughs) oh man I, I don't have a response. My favorite one of recent memory actually was against Matt Riddle because I thought it was absolutely hilarious when they reunited at the early stages of RK Bro and he just randomly gave him one after they were celebrating in the middle of the ring. Um, I can't think of one because I when I think of the RKO, I think of the early stages of seeing like randomly poorly put together YouTube compilations of RKO out of nowhere or vines or whatnot so oh yeah it's almost like every rko is my favorite rko and that's a such a cop-out answer but right back at you animal what about i think it's fair for me and this is a combination of two of two of my all-time favorites but the seth rollins 
stomp into RKO because it was such a freakish maneuver on both men's parts where Seth had to figure out how to be stepping down on Randy's head and then actually create upward momentum. And Randy had to be bent over on the ground and just strengthen his core and his neck enough to lift a man into the air. And they did it at like, it was not like WrestleMania or something. So when you watch the clip, it's like sun soaked in a stadium. But that one, that one for me is just the case of like, it takes some fucking balls for both guys to try that because if like Seth's foot kind of slips, then it's just that moment of 70,000 people being like, oh, they fucked that up. But <laughs> instead they went with that. And then my honorable mention is a low key one. It was when Nia Jax went into the men's rumble, which is always, because it was one of the cool ones because it's where it's like the, this is a woman so impressive. She can actually beat people up a la, uh, you know, China had it, Beth Phoenix had it. And I felt like it was kind of like the the stamp of approval on her being there. That it's like, we got to get her out of the ring. It's like, don't worry, guys. Randy's here. <laughs> you know, it, you're absolutely right. The Seth Rollins one was incredible. I, and to a level where I'm glad that they haven't tried to, like, overdo anything to top that. Like, that that's a standalone classic WWE main event pay-per-view clip. And uh, yeah, uh, you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that. I know I've seen it already in the compilation they just did for him. But like I said, you put me on the spot and I'm going to take the compound answer on that one. No, but you, you are right. I also do have to say that it's the wonderful thing about, and then we can get off because it's such a Randy, Randy love fest, but that it did just become something that you can say it to a non-wrestling fan. And they just met immediately like, oh, someone's going to fall down. Like, <laughs> nowhere. And it's like, if you say that and then, you know, like you show someone walking down the stairs, it's like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> right on. So uh, any other thoughts on the state of WWE or AEW at the moment, Dan? Uh, WWE, I think I'm, I'm kind of good to hold serve on. I think they're doing some interesting storylines, but it's classic. We're in between. Uh, congrats to Charlotte for losing an I quit match to Ronda so she can get married to Andrade and her. they can then have children to wrestle Becky and Seth's child in the greatest wrestling child matchup of all time. So congrats <laughs> to Charlotte. Did uh refresh me because I, I haven't watched enough WWE, but did Rhea Ripley team up with Edge and uh, Damian Priest? Yes, and that's kind of fucking cool. That yeah. I'll I'll admit that they had like you know uh they also did a pretty good job with it because someone came out to help Edge with AJ after uh, Priest was fought off by Finn Balor. And they did a good job because obviously, you know, there's a, a could, and I'm sure, you know, plenty of real dorks out there saw like the boots or something and got it. But like they had her wearing like a covered mask and a good baggy sweatshirt. So you couldn't really get a read on much of her. And, you know, she's such an imposing woman that you weren't immediately like, oh, it's Alexa Bliss. So yeah, they had her pull it off. But I think, I think it's kind of cool because you don't see a lot of, you know, women being used in stables where it's not either like the mouthpiece or the token, like she just stands here because she's more in the vein of at any given time, you know, she can do more than just kick a guy in the balls. Like she can throw an elbow in someone's face or hit a quick riptide. So yeah, I think, I think that's also yet another case of them believing that she is a, you know, not to steal the AEW term, but she's a pillar of the women's division moving forward. Bianca's obviously one side of it, but I think especially because Bianca is such a baby face. She's so athletic. She's got the megawatt smile. And then, you know, Rhea's naturally, she's got the rocker thing. She's got the tattoos. So it's like, well, you know, let's, let's not overthink this. She's, she wants to come out to a metal song and, you know, beat people up. She's a heel. So yeah, I think given, given her, you know, the rub of working with one of the all-time greats is going to be really cool to see what they do. So I, I guess I really just hope that they don't uh, fuck it up, but lately they've actually been doing a pretty good job. So I think that's uh, going to be a fun one to watch. No, I, I really like that. And I think actually it, it really, that was the first thing that popped into my mind when you were kind of talking about that Nia Jax uh, competing against the male talent um, just in the ring was um, that, I mean, Rhea is definitely on that level as well if they choose to go that route. But I also think it's just kind of cool having a stable, that classic kind of 
the old original DX with, you know, the two top competitors and a very imposing woman wrestler as well. So um, actually, that's a great transition to one of my first thoughts on the state of AEW. And I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't caught the latest episode of Dynamite. So they're possibly, I may be putting my foot in my mouth here. But what I'll say is, it's almost like now that we've entered in this Owen Hart uh, tournament, that you realize they almost have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to their women wrestlers at the moment. Like they have so much talent there and it's actually getting fascinating because they're entering into this weird realm where it's like, how, you know, do you feel confident with pushing that out as being regular things? Because it's always kind of followed the standard model where it's like you get one women's match and then the rest is, you know, male talent throughout the night. But they're really kicking that door down and saying, like, well, these are more compelling matches right now. Because, you know, my hot take on this, I guess, is to say in the current state with the injuries and, you know, the folks being out currently in AEW, I actually think the women talent is far superior at the moment of who's active. So what are your thoughts on the current state of things, Daniel? You know, this actually plays really well into something that I wanted to bring up from the most recent episode that I watched. Uh, not to give away the result of the match, but Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter went at it in, you know, in almost one of the best ways. It, it wasn't quite like a Haas match, but it was like a powerhouse match because those are both really impressive women. And everything I, I got took away from it was the match was great. The thing that I was a little concerned about and I thought was odd was the crowd seemed super dead for it. So I can't help but wonder if it's a case of the quality of the matches there, but they're not building the storylines enough to really get the crowd invested. Because obviously like Brit and Thunder Rosa are, you know, getting huge responses and you know i think jade cargill is kind of getting the great response of either people you know are given the like oh she's female goldberg boo we're sick of you jade or you know there's the other side where it's like holy shit this woman is so impressive on so many levels and i think it was uh brian danielson who was quoted on a podcast who was just like i mean i look at her and i'm just jealous because you know she's been wrestling for 15 months and she's got more charisma than i had 15 years but I, I kind of wonder if, yeah, with some of these smaller, you know, matches, are they not doing enough to amp the crowd? Because that was a, a really odd takeaway for me. It was like early in the night, there's like the Adam Cole and uh, Dax Hardwood, which is amazing. We'll probably talk about FTR later. But, you know, with Adam Cole, you get the, the whole thing and the spiel and the entrance and everyone's super hot. But then I just kind of felt like with these women, it was like they put on an incredible match and it was the second, it was, you know, right before the main event. So it had great spot on the card. They got time to work. So I, I kind of, I definitely agree with you that the talent and the quality is there. I just kind of wonder if the packaging is what's going to hold it down a little bit. Because I think that's one thing where WWE kind of continues to, they're getting better and better about knowing that like, you know, recently there was like a six woman tag and there were three different feuds going on within it. So, you know, you had a reason to root and be invested in like, oh, shit, you know, she's tagging in now. And, oh, Sonya's going to run from her and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it may be a question of storytelling because I, I do a thousand percent agree with you. And you nailed it in that, you know, the hater storm match was a banger. So I, I think you're dead on. Well, I was going to say, too, and it, it sucks because I know AEW's whole thing is they try to to do the compelling matchups to make the storylines. And actually, everything going on with the Owen Hart tournament, like, you know, and like I said, this could have all completely gotten derailed based on the results of these this last matches. But you had the hater storm kind of rivalry, but then you also on top of that have the potential of hater and Brit maybe facing each other in the championship. You have kind of the return of Ruby Soho with her thing with Brett. It's like, there's just so much going on. Plus you add to that, you know, you have Sheeta um, lost out to Deeb. And so now Deeb is going to be taking out Thunder Rosa and you have the new baddies trio, which I think is a fantastic way to keep building Jade's brand because I definitely think the charisma is there. And, and now that she's getting comfortable and you can see it, particularly in her promos, 
like that's exactly what she needs are kind of two underlings or bebop and rocksteady to kind of you know kind of elevator all that much more and it works out so well because she's so massive and in, in comparison that it just reminds you of how big of an imposing figure she is in that locker room so i just when i look at all that like i enjoy it but you're absolutely right like it's almost like they need to have more segments behind the scenes or maybe this is where the achilles heel of, of believing your fan base are only going to enjoy the in-ring action and matchups be compelled by that as opposed to throwing in every now and then just some goofball narrative or throw in just more birthday cake spots where it's like i'm here to celebrate you oh oh cake in the face kind of routine because that's also a big part of professional wrestling so okay so i i think the owen hart tourney is a great thing to stick on and i gotta bring up once again ftr is those guys it, it's probably one of the coolest turns i think i've seen in a while where it's just that like Cash and Dax have been putting on such great tag matches, and then they do the two tag partners competing against each other. And it's like they just realized that the crowd was so in love with these guys, like their talent and their love of wrestling, that that just became how they turned. Like there wasn't really like a cheesy like moment where they had to like, you know, talk shit with Jericho or, you know, just the blatant like, we're good guys now. Instead, it was just like, they just kind of started, you know, embracing things a little more. And it, it's been super satisfying. I just love that, you know, after those guys, you know, had the, the big pop in NXT, struggled on the main card, to be getting the appreciation that I think they really deserve has been great. And man, are they just on fire with matches. I was going to say it's so cool because that's literally their gimmick is that they're just like hard-nosed guys who go to work and put on banger matches. And, and that's literally what won <laughs> over the crowd was just them constantly doing that to the point where everyone's more of a fan of them than the supposed baby face, you know, group that they go against. Um, yeah, they are absolutely amazing. I love the promo work too. Like it's just such classic, like old school meathead wrestling top guys out is like the greatest way to end a, a segment ever. Like, especially for just with, you got the dorky, like letterman jacket look, well, not letterman jacket, but you know what I mean? like the starter jackets with the logos and the corny as 80s music. Uh, just my favorite thing anytime they come out. I love that you brought up um, the Switch, though, because there were two of them that actually blew me away because I can't think of recent memory because you're absolutely right. Typically, if you were going to switch over a you know well-established heel group like this, it would be like that moment, the classic Vince McMahon WWE where somebody's getting pummeled in the ring and all of a sudden they decide to go in for the save. And that's what kind of signifies. It's like, no, they're good guys now like cheer for them. But in this case, it was, it just happened naturally. The other one that was amazing to me was Scorpio sky and Sammy Guevara. They had the match when Sammy took the title back from, from Scorp and Scorp was the heel going into that. And then after he lost the belt, all of a sudden it completely flip flopped. And now Scorp's the, the baby face and Sammy's the heel and they're still feuding. And I thought that was really cool how it just switched naturally. Cause again, they just picked up like, no, the fans don't like this new Sammy. And, and you know, I'm sure that's curated to be that way, but it was really crazy how they just turned on a dime like that. I've never seen that personally. Yeah. I think, I think once again, we can kind of lean into a little bit on the, you know, the social media aspects we talked about that, like, the Conti and Sammy thing was, you know, getting a lot of heat. So they've, they've leaned into it, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah. And like having, especially with like, not just Scorpio sky, but that like Dan Lambert and Ethan Page are also kind of, you know, he still hangs out with them. Cause that was the thing is, you know, uh, they also, you know, brought back Frankie Kazarian into the mix. And I, I think that they're, you know, maybe setting the stage a little bit for maybe Scorpio to break away from Page and Lambert. Um, and really kind of cement a, uh, a face, a face. And, you know, I don't know if they reconcile SCU, but yeah. That, I, that's I, my I, guess, yeah. Yeah, I, or, I, or I think it's kind of the, uh, the Darth Vader, you know, father saved me at the end of Return of the Jedi where Paige and Dan are beating on Frankie and then he kind of looks at him and then it's just the like, you know, 
the I'll, I'll do just another reference because I love doing it. The Kurt Russell tombstone, just no, <laughs> no, and then boom, he starts beating up on him. But no, that's a that's a great example of them doing it. And I guess uh, since we're kind of on a, a trend here, and you'd referenced it before that, uh, uh, you know, there is so much of them loving to kind of have people in the middle, with the exception of you know. God bless him, you know, Jericho Appreciation Society, who just anytime he wants heat just brings up, you know, wrestling entertainment. And then MJF, who I think is, I always want to mention just because it's so like, I feel like he really simultaneously does it where the crowd knows that they're being worked by him, but he's so good at it that it's like, he wants me to boo him. I'm not going to boo him. And then he's just like <laughs> in this podunk town full of ugly idiots like you. And he's just got so much venom that then everyone boos him. And it's like, Way to go, MJF, because I love him. But the, the matchup I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on are Hangman and Punk. What are, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? Yeah, no, I was really, I mean, this was bound to happen. I mean, you had to get Punk in there sooner than later because, you know, I've always contended, like, even though he's fantastic for his age, what he's putting out. I mean, you're only going to get so many years that he's going to still be, you know, Hall of Fame punk in that ring. Um, I'm torn on this one because it just has all the makings to me of, of a match that's a non-decision, if that makes sense. Like, it, this yeah. reeks of a big return type of thing. I mean, there's a couple of potential areas for big returns with the Joker. I don't know if that was already announced or not for um, – the Owen Hart tournament, but also, you know, there's a couple of big names who have been looming and destined to return that would be instant main event, you know, title contenders. And that's the sense I get of this is it's building to some trio thing that needs to be finished in another stage. I mean, there's potential that maybe they use it to continue to push page. There's also potential that they maybe give punk his one last run as a, a true champion because He's still hot, you know, and people love to see him. And my only concern when you do that, though, is what then actually happens to Paige because he's in such an awkward spot. Like he's still in that shadow of Kenny Omega. And guess what? Kenny Omega is one of those names of guys that is going to come back at some point very soon. So um, I really don't know which direction it goes, to be quite frank with you. Yeah, I think for me, part, part of my struggle is, I don't know, I, I, I like Paige a lot. I think that they're, I, I think he's still developing and I think that's fine. Like, I, I don't think that there was ever going to be a way to take the guy that was part of a group that's with the fucking Bucks and Kenny Omega. It's like, you know, good luck getting the fucking word in there or getting the sliver of the spotlight. It's like between the Bucks, you know, personality and then Kenny in the ring, like you were always going to kind of have to be the the last man of the group. So I, I definitely support them kind of letting them find the speed a little bit, because I mean, really, if the guy can go, his, his matches are great. I think he's growing on the mic and it just there's a part of me that wonders, are you are you setting the dangerous precedent if Punk comes back, gets the paychecks, gets the pops and then gets the belt? Because that, that's the thing that's been of curious curiosity to me. And the thing that I'm waiting, I feel like I haven't really heard it yet, but no one seems to have brought up that Punk does all the, I love you guys so much and I love the sport. Da, 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 da. It's like, you know who else loves the sport? Cody fucking Rhodes, who went and worked every indie promotion in the world. You know who else loves the sport? Drew McIntyre, who left WWE and reestablished UK wrestling as a whole. Like, don't sit here and spit all this, you know, I loved it so much, but I had to get away. It's like, you still could have wrestled. You waited for the, you know, richest wrestling owner in the world to cut you the biggest check. And then you you were dying to get back. So that's that's kind of where I think uh, there, there's a little bit of precedent that I'd be curious about. I also think it's interesting because they, they kind of had Punk being a bit of a heel uh, this last week. So I, I'd be interested, but uh, yeah, I think I think you're right that a, a three-man spot could be the way to go. I, I also would wonder if maybe if you go that route, if uh, Punk maybe takes the belt and then he's injected into a feud or something. But yeah, I, I don't know. That one was, uh, it's one that I, I continue to, Punk's, I'm trying to think, maybe I don't want to go as much as like a Tom Brady, but he's a guy that I, I just never particularly clicked with. 
but I respect the hell out of everything he does. Like he's incredible on the mic. He's great in the ring. You know, he, his comeback has been great, but yeah, something about it's just never done it for me. So I think that's where I'm, I may be a little embittered when it comes to this feud. I was going to say, like, I think you're on to something here. And my comparison to Punk in his current iteration is Tim Duncan uh, back when he that's was with the great. Spurs. Where it's like everything he does is technically sound and fantastic and overachieving for a guy his advanced age. But it's boring is all get out. And there are so many other superstars I'd rather see in the ring, especially in those big spots. And that's my concern with pairing him up with a guy like Adam Page, because it's going to grind to such a halt. And that's my concern with him carrying the belt in general. I mean, you saw the banger that Paige put on multiple times with Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, and who's a guy who can keep up. But you're not going to get that with Punk. With Punk, you're going to get a lot more arm drags. You're going to get a lot of like commentary about, oh, he's slowing the action down now. You're going to get like maybe one big spot off the turnbuckle. But it like you, the contrast in the athletic ability is going to be night and day between what page because it, it literally is it's so awkward when you see a technically sound guy like punk going against a guy like page who at any moment could bust out some crazy moonsault and literally his finishing move takes more athletic prowess than i've ever seen punk display in any one of his matches so and then you add to that the fact that it's like whoever holds that belt like do you really want them continuing that trend of having to have these long drawn out technical matches or do you want somebody who can actually go with Kenny Omega? Because again, that's going to come back and that's the stage you're setting for yourself. I mean, I mean, Takeshita, you saw him, the Japanese phenom who, you know, wrestled briefly on Rampage. Uh, you know, that's an example of what's on the horizon. That's the future of professional wrestlers. Like they're all around talent. They're amazing athletes, true athletes. And they've been doing it for years and years and years. Punk, what he does is he plays the game of really appealing to the true wrestling historians. Like he did that match where he emulated all the Bret Hart maneuvers from that one. Again, pretty cool if you're in on the joke, kind of boring if you're expecting like a banger match. So I, I'm curious to see, and it, it's I'm also concerned because I think stuff like this can have an impact. This reminds me a lot of the Cena and Rock where you saw the personality that Cena cultivated was instantly dashed by just somebody who's just naturally so much more charismatic and better at carrying themselves in the middle of the ring in a showdown. And I think that it's really going to expose Adam Page and, you know, trying to keep this rapport going with Punk who can eviscerate him when it comes to Mike's skills. And, you know, Page to me is at his best when he's just playing the lonely whiskey sipping cowboy who just kind of is like oh shucks if if these fellers need a partner i'll be a, i'll be your huckleberry kind of routine like <laughs> it's when you're dealing with the like now he's kind of doing this all american like i stand for myself but also kind of freedom but not too much freedom because i don't want to be associated <laughs> with that you know what i mean so i, I yeah I'm, I'm not not we the people freedom yeah exactly like not going that far but but kind of the all-American cowboy at the same time, so. No, that's, I think those are all great points. And one thing that I can tell you you can look forward to is you brought up the impressiveness of Paige's buckshot lariat. And in classic, I'm going to be wrestling you soon, Punk does it tonight. And you see just how much that move does not work if you haven't done it a lot. So be excited for that. Um, no, I think I think that that's about where I'm at. I, uh, I I'm enjoying it. I'm excited to see where things go. They're teasing some bucks in Hardys, which I think I I hope they do. The Hardys getting to leave their boots in the ring after a match with the Bucks because I think that you know uh, well they I guess continuing it's on the card is you'll see Jeff and Darby go tonight, and you, you can tell that. This is this is a last run for Jeff, and I think leaving his boots in the ring with his brother against you know the new team of brothers would be best. So that's I think we're heading in that direction. That's something I'm excited for, and yeah, just uh, really got to say, and it's true of anything, King of the Ring. But God damn, do I love a good wrestling tournament? They're just so fun. You get to watch, and you know, oh man, this person can wrestle this person. So 
yeah, really, uh, really excited for seeing what comes in those next couple of weeks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I think with all that being said, it's been the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Top guys out. Thank <laughs> you.